Hey, this is Russ DeVos, former pastor, church planter, sales rep, and wrestling coach, and serving currently as a men's spiritual and personal productivity coach. And I want to welcome you to The Wrestling Room, a podcast where we open the Bible and tackle head-on the challenging issues that you and I wrestle with every day. Always asking and answering the most important question, what does God have to say about this? So join me now as we jump into the scripture. Welcome back to The Wrestling Room and welcome to episode number two of what I'm calling What Does the Bible Say? where I address questions that you've sent in and just simply dive into scripture and find out what does the Bible say about this? And in 1995, Joan Osborne debuted a song that went to number one in Canada, Sweden, Belgium, and Australia, number four in the U.S., number six in the U.K., entitled One of Us. And in this song, a very deep and probing, a very thought-provoking question, she asked three questions. Number one, what if God was one of us? Question number two, if God had a name, what would it be? And then question number three is if God had a face, what would it look like? And so I'm going to tackle that question today. Aaliyah, 13-year-old from uh, Boise, Idaho, sent me that question asking, what will Jesus look like? And I'm certain that many of us, if not all of us, have wondered that at some point. Uh, But I want to tackle it in two parts. Number one, what did Jesus look like when he came the first time? And what will Jesus look like when he comes the second time? And so let's tackle the first one. What did Jesus look like when he came the first time? Well, the short answer is we don't know. There's nowhere in scripture where the profile of Jesus is given. Height, weight, color of eyes, color of hair, his his features, his build, etc. But we can piece some things together and come up with a profile and and really a picture of Jesus um, from general to specific. And so I want to start in Genesis 3.15, which Bible scholars and Bible students call the Proto-Evangelicum, which means the first mention of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus was mentioned as early on in Scripture as Genesis 3, verse 15? He is foreshadowed in a verse, and I'll read it to you, because we want to pull two things from this verse describing both who Jesus is and who Jesus isn't. So let me read the verse, and then I'll dive into those two things. It says this, God the Father is speaking to Satan Adam and Eve. It's kind of like they're in the principal's office. They've gotten in trouble. We know in Genesis 3, Satan deceived Eve. Eve influenced Adam who disobeyed. And now they are all three standing before the father in the principal's office, so to speak. And he's giving the consequences. And he's speaking in this verse to Satan himself. So God the father says, I will cause hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, all of humanity, Uh, Eve, the mother of all humanity, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, speaking of one of Eve's offspring, will strike your head. Another version says, will crush your head, and you will strike or bruise his heel. So there's kind of a funnel nature going from mega down to meta, and we, we end up with a standoff, a face-off, a battle, a conflict between one of Eve's offspring and Satan himself. And Eve's offspring would crush Satan, but not before Satan would bruise the heel of 
Eve's offspring. And if we continue to read the Bible, we don't stop at 315, we find out that the he that God the Father was talking about was God the Son, Jesus. So let's let's carry on. So two things we learned from this verse. Number one, that Jesus was fully human. He wasn't a ghost or a phantom. In Genesis 3.15, it's clear that the he who had crushed Satan's head was one of Eve's offspring, a human being. He would come from her body. So, why am I even bringing this up? Here is why. About 200 AD, just as the church was forming and spreading, a false doctrine called docetism began circulating through the church. The Greek word dokeo means to seem like or to appear. And a group that became known as the illusionists were teaching that Jesus' body was not human. He was fully God, but his body was not human, but was composed of what they called celestial substance. They taught that Jesus was actually a ghost, a spirit, a phantom, an illusion. (laughs) He seemed to have a body, seemed to be human, but in reality, he cast no shadow, and when he walked, he left no footprints. Now, (laughs) what does the Bible say? Well, I'll just say this. If you have read the Bible at all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the story of Jesus, that's ridiculous. Because Jesus is so human. A carpenter uh, builds things. A ghost doesn't. A human holds children. A phantom does not. A human being drinks wine, turns water into wine, eats food. A ghost, a phantom does not. You read the life of Jesus. He was constantly rubbing shoulders with, touching, hugging, involved with people as a human being, not a phantom or a spirit. So that is just self-evident as you read the scriptures. But here's what the scripture says. John, Jesus' closest earthly friend, writes this in John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14. He said, In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus. And the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. In other words, God himself took on human flesh and lived with us. In 1 John 4, 2, and 3, John writes again, By this you know the Spirit of God. In other words, you know that God is giving you the truth. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Why? Because that was being disputed. And in 2 John, verse 7, John says again, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Now, what what was their deception? Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. They said he was a phantom. They said he was a ghost. They said he was an illusion. And John says, this is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, why is this so important? Well, listen, friends. If Jesus was just an illusion, then his, and just a phantom, just a ghost, then he didn't have a body to die on the cross. He didn't have a body to bury, and he didn't have a body to rise from the dead. All of those things were only illusions. They're only symbolic. Now, what does that mean for you and me? It means that you have a symbolic Savior. He's just an illusion. Your forgiveness of sins is only symbolic. It's only an illusion. Your hope of heaven is only an illusion. (laughs) Your salvation is only an illusion. 
And your faith, friends, is total foolishness. It isn't real. It's only a fantasy. It truly is blind faith. Here's what Peter or Paul, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, if Jesus hasn't risen from the grave, Christians are the biggest fools on the planet, more pitiful than any other group of people. But then he ends with, but Jesus has risen. And Josh McDowell says it this way, Jesus was as much God as if he was never human and as much human as if he was never God. Friends, Jesus was fully human. When you, If you were to see Jesus, you wouldn't see a ghost. You wouldn't see a phantom. You would see a full human being. But number two, Jesus was thoroughly man. He was not bisexual. And you might be shocked that I'm even saying that. And I'm shocked that I even have to tell you this. But I'm going to tell you, Satan has attacked not only Jesus' humanity, but Jesus' manhood as well. His manhood is under attack. Listen to what Hannah Wolf, a theologian, a theologian and psychologist who died in 2001, before she did, here's what she was teaching. She said that Jesus was androgynous. And by the way, she and many others have taught this, that Jesus was androgynous. What does that mean? Part male, part female of indeterminate sex. In other words, if you saw him, you wouldn't know whether he was a girl or a boy, a man or a woman, having the physical characteristics of both sexes. She said he was a model of psychic totality. Woo! Jesus being both male and female together. Another famous psychologist, Carl Jung, also taught the bisexuality of Jesus, commenting, he said this, this is not only a Christian idea, the gods in most religions, God's little g's, have an androgynous nature ascribed to them in some form or another. Can you hear the hiss of the serpent, the counterfeit, the twisting, the perversion? Satan is a liar. And you'll find wherever Satan is involved, you have two things. Every time, number one, he will add his own filth, his own lies, his own deception to God's truth. So he adds to the scriptures. And number two, he twists the person of Jesus. He always takes away, subtracts, perverts, twists the person of Jesus. And this is another twisting. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible indicates from cover to cover that Jesus was a man through and through, not a freakish, twisted, bisexual mixture, not some male-female hybrid. Genesis 3.15 says, I will cause hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring, the demons, and her offspring, the humans. He will strike your head, a fatal wound will crush your head. You, Satan, will strike his heel, a non-fatal wound. Now, Hebrew has sort of a code to it. So the words he and his in this verse have the Hebrew code PP3MS, which means personal pronoun, third person, masculine, singular, which means this, that this one who would crush the head of Satan would be an individual male, would be a man would be a man. And this scripture sets the stage for the whole of history, brothers and sisters. 
the bulk of Old Testament prophecy foretell of a man who would come, the head crusher, the deliverer, the savior. And when Gabriel came to young Virgin Mary in the book of Luke, chapter 1, 31 through 33, here's what he said to her. He said, behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb a son. You shall call his name Yeshua. That's the Old Testament name, Joshua. He will be, will be great, be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus was known as the Son of Joseph. In John 4, verse 29, one of the great stories, Jesus is interacting at the well in Samaria with a woman who has been married five times and is living with a sixth man who's not her husband. And after in, engaging with Jesus and dialoguing with Jesus, she runs back into her town and says to them, come and see a man. Come and see a man. Listen, this woman knew males, but she had seen very few men. And when she met Jesus and interacted with Jesus, she said, come and see a man. Friends, this man, Jesus. He is a man. You can follow Jesus. You can trust Jesus. He is fully man in every sense of the word. He is the ideal man. So why wasn't Jesus a woman? Now, let me ask this question because I have all respect and utter, uttermost respect for women, but I want to ask this question. Why wasn't Jesus a woman and why is this important? Well, I want to explain this, and this is a whole message in and of itself, but God has set up principles and laws in the universe that he respects and he follows himself. He does not interfere with his own laws and principles. When he gave Adam, so to speak, the keys to the car, the title deed of planet Earth, he also gave Adam the freedom to do with that as he wished, and Adam gave that title deed, the keys to the car, to Satan. And God respected Adam's choice. He didn't just go back and grab back the keys from Satan and say, oh, no, you don't, like an enabling or rescuing parent. He didn't just jump into the mess of sin and fix it and let everyone off the hook to just continue making mess after mess after mess. He took dramatic and final action, complete and thorough action, action to clean up this mess of sin once and for all. So here's how this works. A perfect man, Adam, and he was perfect, blew it. So a perfect man, a second perfect man, would have to renew it. A perfect man made the mess. A second perfect man would have to clean up the mess. Listen how Romans 5 talks about it. In verse 12, it says this, Sin came into the world by one man, Adam. And sin brought death with it. <laughs> it's a two-for-one deal. You sin, you get death also. And death spread to all men. <laughs> sin is the ultimate pandemic. It brings death that spreads to everyone. Verse 15 of Romans 5 says, Many people died because of the sin of this one man, Adam. But the loving favor of God came to many people also. This, this gift came also by one man, Jesus Christ, 
God's son. Brothers and sisters, the scripture says, the Bible teaches that a perfect man, Adam, knocked Humpty Dumpty off the wall. (laughs) And a second perfect man, Jesus, would put him back together again. The scripture teaches that not a woman, not a phantom, not an alien, not a spiritual being or an angel could make it right. It had to be a man. And by the way, Jehovah Witnesses teach that Michael, the archangel of the Old Testament, is Jesus in the New Testament, that he's an he's the angel Michael. Can't happen. It has to be a man. The Messiah has to be a man. The deliverer has to be a man. The head crusher has to be a man. And it couldn't be just any man. Humanity's best had blown out. Adam had blown it. He had thrown us all under the bus because of his disobedience. And there was no one to save us. So God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit had a conversation. And God the Son came as that second perfect man to make things right, to redeem us and deliver us. Jesus was thoroughly man. He was not bisexual, some twisted perversion, perverted version of man and woman. He was thoroughly man. But I'm going to keep moving. He was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. He was not American, Swedish, Austrian, German. He wasn't Dutch or Russian. He wasn't Kenyan. wasn't Ugandan. wasn't Argentinian or Chilean or Brazilian. He wasn't Chinese, Vietnamese, Japanese, or Filipino. Jesus was a Jew. Now, all of humanity, Genesis chapter 6 through 9, the story of the flood, all of humanity was reduced to three boys, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And all of humanity can trace their ancestry back to Ham, Shem, or Japheth. I am a Japhethite. I come from Japheth. They typically inhabit Eastern and Western Europe. I come from Sweden and Holland. Those are my roots. Jesus was of the ancestry of Shem. The Hamites occupied Africa, largely African-Americans and and many in the the continent of Africa. Semites or Shemites inhabited and migrated to the Asiatic countries largely. Now, this is a, a uh, a broad brushing of the whole thing, but Jesus was from Shem. He was a Shemite or a Semite. He was a son of Abraham. He was a son of David. He traces his ancestry through Abraham, through David. He was of the tribe of Judah. He was a Judean. Now, why is this important? Though in studying this, I found that there is a pretty strong speculation that the Judeans of Jesus' time were closest biologically to the Iraqi Jews of today. And I didn't know this, but Uh, For over 2,700 years, about 150,000 Jews lived in Iraq. In 1948, when Israel became a nation, the Iraqis kicked the Jews out. A lot of hostility, a lot of persecution, but there are still little pockets of Jewish communities living in Iraq today. And if you were to see them, you would see dark brown or black hair, dark, deep brown eyes, olive brown skin, Jesus likely would have looked like a man of Middle Eastern appearance, even potentially like an Iraqi Jew of today. Now, let's keep going. Jesus would have been a young man. He would have looked young. He was 33 years old when he died. Now, Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, retired this year at 44, 11 years older than Jesus. Our quarterback here in Seattle, Russell Wilson, 33 years old, same age as Jesus. 
He was a young man. The Bible also teaches that he was common looking. Unlike the first king of Israel, King Saul, who likely would have graced the cover of GQ magazine, taller than any other man, the Bible says, and the most beautiful, good-looking man in all of Israel. Jesus was not that. The last king of Israel, the Lord Jesus, did not and will not have Hollywood good looks, or at least he didn't when he came the first time. Listen to what Isaiah 53 verse 2 says about him, prophesying about the Messiah. For he grew up like a root out of dry ground. In other words, he didn't have a silver spoon in his mouth. He was very common. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. In other words, nothing would cause our head to swing around and say, whoa, who is that? And it says there was no beauty that we should desire him. And I love this because it's consistent with what God told Samuel, the prophet and judge in the book of 1 Samuel. He said this, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Proverbs 31.30 says this, speaking to women, but it's the principle applies to everybody, men, women, boys and girls, teenagers, anybody. It says this, charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. It comes and goes. But a person, a woman, a man, a young person, a young woman, a young man who fears the Lord will be greatly Praised. And it was said of Jesus that he grew in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus feared God. He feared and loved and revered his Father. A man who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Jesus was blue collar. He was a carpenter. He likely had dirt under his fingernails, or at least sawdust under his fingernails, and he was likely comfortable with common people. He likely had strong hands, steady hands, very detailed. That's He, he had to because he was a carpenter. He was likely of average height because little Zacchaeus had to climb a tree to see Jesus, so he wasn't standing head and shoulders above the masses. Likely he was of average height. We know he had a beard because prior to his crucifixion, it was plucked out, and likely he had short hair, unlike many of the pictures of Jesus with long flowing hair, which was typical of the Nazarites of that day, the Nazarites, but Jesus was a Nazarene. He was from Nazareth. He was a Nazarene, not a Nazarite, a religious group of people who had taken a vow not to cut their hair. Jesus wasn't one of those. He likely had short hair. Why is that? Why do I say that? In 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says this, does not even nature tell you that for a man to have long hair is dishonorable to him? Interesting. Likely Jesus had short hair. I'll also say this. What Jesus lacked in physical attractiveness, he far more than made up for in character. In character. Jesus is described in scripture as a lion and a lamb. As a lamb and a lion. And the way I put it is this. Jesus was a lamb with a lion's heart and he was a lion with a lamb's heart. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus actually comments on his own character. We see it everywhere as we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, but he actually says, I am humble and gentle in heart. 
two things, gentle and humble. And we see the gentleness of Jesus, the way he dealt with sinners, those who were repentant of sin. He was so gentle. He was so kind. The way he dealt with children, parents were thrilled to have Jesus hold their children, bless their children, touch their children. He was safe. And we know he was humble. Jesus, no doubt, had this deep, strong, rooted confidence, this quiet confidence. He wasn't a chest thumper. He wasn't taking fingers and pointing to himself. He was either pointing to his Father, pointing to the Spirit. Jesus was humble. But we know this also, that Jesus was savage. Jesus was bold. He was audacious. He was courageous. He bookended his ministry by going into the temple and literally vandalizing the whole temple. He made a whip and drove out the money changers. And the disciple, he did it on the front end of his ministry. He did it on the back end of his ministry two times. And it said his disciples commented about him. They saw the zeal, the fire, the fury of God for holiness, for what is right in Jesus Jesus had a lion's heart. And friends, I am thrilled and proud to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say this at this point. Christianity isn't a religion. It is the following of a person, the Lord Jesus, the King, the Lamb, the Lion, we follow a person. Everyone serves somebody. The Bible is clear on this. You will have a master. It may be a musical group. It might be an actor. You might idolize someone or something. You might even be yourself. For most of, it's, for most of us, it's ourself that we follow and that we serve. And that's pitiful. Jesus is the ultimate person, human, man to follow. And I am proud to say that I love Jesus. I'm more proud to follow Jesus now than I've ever been. So I want to now address number two. What will Jesus look like when he comes a second time? And I just want to point out two things. Number one, Jesus will be spectacular. He will be spectacular. And we see this hinted in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25 in the Old Testament. You know the story, many of you do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew servants of God, the three Hebrew boys who refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. They wouldn't do it. And they were thrown into a fiery furnace that was heated up seven times hotter than normal. By the way, that typifies and foreshadows the seven-year tribulation when everything will heat up like we've never seen it. The turmoil, the tribulation of that time will be unparalleled in all of human history. And in this story, the fiery furnace is heated up seven times hotter than normal. The three boys are cast in because of their allegiance to their God, the true and the living God. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world, looks into that fire and he is startled because in the fire there are four people walking around. And he looks at the fourth and he says... The fourth is like a son of the gods. Listen, this king had at his disposal the most valiant warriors in all of the world to fight for him. He had the most magnificent men at his disposal to defend him 
and he looks into the fire and he is blown away, mesmerized by the fourth man in the fire. He says he is like a son of the gods and we know who it is. Friends, that was Jesus, the son of God. I'm not a Marvel movie guy, but I have seen a couple. I've seen Thor. I've seen Aquaman. And when Chris Hemsworth and Jason Momoa stripped down, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. At least for those movies, it was. But I want to tell you this. Listen, they and their characters, <laughs> fictional characters, pale in comparison to the fourth man in the fire. Friends, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This fourth man in the fire is spectacular, spectacular. Peter, James, and John got a, got a sneak peek of this in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus takes them up onto the mountain, and there is Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And it says in Matthew 17 too, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. <laughs> Transfigured means, it's from the word, the Greek word metamorphos. It means he literally changed into another form. He transformed. <laughs> Jesus' appearance literally changed right in front of Peter, James, and John. And they were so blown away, so mesmerized, so stunned by it, that this future leader of the church, Peter, who has never had a lack, lack for words, became a blubbering idiot <laughs> in front of this transfigured, transformed Son of God. In Revelation 1, verses 12 through 17, written by John, Jesus' closest earthly friend, John sees Jesus, but not the way he knew him when Jesus came the first time. He sees Jesus in all of his glory, as the Ancient of Days, as the Son of God, as the Creator of all of the heavens and the earth. And it says, he fell at Jesus' feet as if he were a dead man. That is powerful. And then Jesus the lion and the lamb places his powerful right hand of authority on John and says, don't be afraid and raises John back up. Friends, this Jesus who is this powerful lion is also this gentle lamb. And he says to you and me, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. When we stand before Jesus someday, we will be awestruck, but we won't be afraid. We won't be afraid. Isn't that awesome? Revelation 19 presents Jesus again as the conquering king who comes out of heaven on a white horse as the mighty warrior of heaven, the captain of all of heaven's armies to do war with the Antichrist. And on his thigh, there's a tattoo that says king over all kings and Lord over all lords. Listen, friends, the Lord Jesus will be spectacular. He will make any Marvel hero look like an absolute chump like a punk. You can follow Jesus proudly. But not only will Jesus be spectacular, he will be scarred because he was marred and mangled and brutalized before and during his crucifixion. Listen to what Isaiah 52, 14 says. It says, but many 
were amazed. And that word amazed means horrified, stunned, appalled. It says many were horrified when they saw him. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, his face was so marred, that word means disfigured or mutilated, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was even a man. Isaiah 52, 14. Friends, listen. What happened with Jesus prior to crucifixion and while he was on the cross was brutal. Jesus' face was crushed. It was mutilated and disfigured. His whole body was scarred because he was beaten within an inch literally of his life before he even went to the cross. In Revelation 4, 6, John had seen Jesus in all of his glory, but in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, I saw a lamb, speaking of Jesus, standing as if slain. So John somehow got a vision of Jesus in his crucifixion state, as if, as if slain. In Luke 24, 40, Jesus showed the disciples his hands and his feet, proving to them that he was who he said he was and that he had risen from the dead as he said he would. And to Thomas in John chapter 20, Thomas said, I won't believe unless I put my fingers in his nail holes and my hand in his side. So Jesus sees Thomas and says, Thomas, reach here your finger, see my hands, reach here your hand and put it in my side. And Thomas did and he said, my Lord and my God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus will be spectacular. We will have no doubt that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is the lion of Judah. But Jesus will also be scarred throughout all of eternity. This is awesome to me. Throughout all of eternity, we will never forget that Jesus is also the Lamb of God who was slaughtered, brutalized, mangled for the sin of our wor the world. I should have had that mangling, but Jesus took it for me. You should have had that mangling, but Jesus took it for you. He was brutalized for you and me. Jesus will be spectacular, but he will also be scarred. I want to conclude with this. In 2005, Sarah Silverman, a Jewish comedian performed a stand-up set entitled Jesus is Magic. And during this set, in a shocking statement, she addressed the fact that the Jews are accused of killing Jesus. And she said these shocking words, I hope the Jews did kill Christ. I'd do it again in a second. I'd bleeping do it again in a second if I hear his Birkenstocks clacking this way. Mind-boggling, that statement. Friends, Jesus is coming our way a second time, but he won't be wearing Birkenstocks. I can promise you that. He won't come as a carpenter's son to Nazareth to be mocked and killed again. He will come as king of all kings and lord of all lords to reign over heaven and earth and all of the world will see his power and his glory. Listen to what Revelation 1-7 says. It says, Behold, look, he is coming, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. This is certain. Amen. In other words, let it be done as it has been stated. You will see Jesus. I will see Jesus. Sarah Silverman will see Jesus. Those who crucified Jesus will see Jesus. 
everyone will see Jesus face to face. And we won't see him as he was. We will see him as he is. The curtain will be pulled back. And we will see him in every glowing, fabulous, spectacular aspect and detail of his glory, friends. Everyone has an appointment with this king. Everyone has a date with deity. So my question to you is, what will Jesus look like to you on that day? And the answer will depend on what you do with him now. When he comes, will he be for you a condemning judge or a welcoming king? Will he say to you, welcome, enter in to my glory? Or will he say to you, depart from me, I never knew you? For those who have slandered Jesus, who have abused Jesus, who have disregarded and ignored Jesus, that day will be the greatest day of shame and horror that you will ever have known. My encouragement is repent of your sins. Embrace Jesus as King and Lord right now. Surrender your full, complete life to him and receive the cleansing and forgiveness of your sins that he is offering. But for those of us who have said, like the Apostle Peter, though we haven't seen you, Jesus, we love you. And though we don't see you now, we believe in you. For those who can say that, this day when we see Jesus will be Super Bowl Sunday. This day will be unparalleled in all of history. It'll be a joy that we have never even dreamt of, inexpressible, beyond our words. Brothers and sisters, what will Jesus look like? It depends on what you do with him now. I pray that you will surrender to him. And if you already know him as Lord and Savior, live for him every single day. Do not put him to shame by your behavior. Live a pure life. Live a holy life. Live, live a life dedicated to him in every single way because he's coming. He's coming. Every eye will see him. My prayer for you is that this will encourage you that your heart will rise up to love this spectacular, scarred King, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me on The Wrestling Room today. And if this has encouraged you, pass it on to somebody else. Subscribe to this channel if you want more encouraging words like this. And uh, we will see you in the next episode. God bless you. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Hi friends, Russ here again, and I wanted to let you know that Catalyst Ministries and The Wrestling Room is a registered 501c3 nonprofit. So if you'd like to support this ministry, you are welcome to click on the link just below in the comments section, or you can go to my YouTube homepage, The Wrestling Room, and click on the button, Support This Ministry. Thank you so much, and God bless you guys. Thanks for joining me this week in the wrestling room. If you were blessed and challenged by this teaching, please support us by sharing with family and friends and leaving a rating and review. That would be so helpful. Also make sure to visit my website, The Catalyst at www.catalystcoachinghq.com to learn about my program for men called Foundations 101. 
I am literally watching men's spiritual lives personalize their marriages and families completely turn around as they go through this program. I'd love for you to check it out. That was www.catalystcoachinghq.com. Finally, if you'd like to watch these messages in video, you can check out my YouTube channel by entering The Wrestling Room in the YouTube search bar. Again, thanks so much for joining me today in The Wrestling Room. We'll see you in the next episode.